Living through the COVID-19 lockdown has been challenging, but imagine being stranded in another country for this whole time. My guest today is joining me on the podcast all the way from Cameroon, where she went for a, a trip, uh, partly business, partly pleasure, when the borders closed in March. It's now July, um, and uh, she has been stuck there this entire time. However, she has said that the experience has been life-changing, both personally and for her business. Welcome, Tanya Nickel, founder of online travel itinerary site, Trip T. Hello, yes, I'm stuck in Cameroon still. <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about doing this podcast for, month, for months. Um, so, it's you know, I can't wait to hear about everything that's been going on. Um, now, we, we actually spoke to you first on our, our podcast back last year. Um, goodness, how much has changed in March 2019. Um, and you talked about the impact that mentoring had had on your business. And for anybody that wants to check that podcast out um, with Gareth Healy and Tanya, it's episode 23 um, on the show. Um, now, since that podcast, you went on to launch Trip T. Um, in beta in January this year. Um, so let's start with maybe the pre-COVID period before we get into what's happening now. So what happened since the launch of, of Trip T in January and how were things going before the pandemic struck? Well, um, I had a plan to be in revenue by June of 2020, uh, my best friend and I decided to take a trip of a lifetime to Tanzania and she had met a guy online and so we decided to come to Cameroon to meet up with him and so what was supposed to be five days in Cameroon has now been almost five months uh, <laughs> so that was sort of the plan um, yes yeah, so I launched in January with my beta and um, was planning on being in revenue for June of 2020. Now, in mm, about December time, my best friend and I decided to take a trip of a lifetime to Tanzania and then come to Cameroon as she had met a guy online and so we were coming to meet up with him. And so what ended up being five days in Cameroon ended up being five months and counting uh, so back in June, I decided to learn enough code to build my MVP. And so that's basically what I had focused on for the last half of 2019. So I was quite excited um, when it had launched and uh, the travel period, which is usually higher in uh, June, July, August, September. Uh, but obviously uh, the world had other plans. So that's where I was, um, and that's that was the plan. So, what have you been like doing over the, like the last few months? And when did you realize that the five day trip was going to be in, indefinite? Um, and it could have been actually, you know, I, I mean, it sounds crazy that you're in Cameroon, but I think it could have been a, a bit more difficult if it had happened a day earlier. Yes. Um, so, I hmm. left on the eighth of March. And we were uh, on a safari in Tanzania and we had very limited internet. And so we didn't really know what was going on in the rest of the world. But prior to that, 
the last week of February and then the first two weeks of March, I had been in five different countries and I had flown on, I think, eight or nine different flights. And so I thought if it was that bad, I would have gotten it because that's what we were hearing was that it was being passed through flights and people traveling. Mm. And so it wasn't taken seriously at the beginning. And in Tanzania, everything was chill. So we carried on with our holiday. And so we ended up leaving Tanzania, I believe on the 15th of March, sorry, or the 15th or 16th of March. And we ended up in Ethiopia because we were flying Ethiopia to Cameroon. And when we had landed in, in Ethiopia, they had taken our temperature at the airport and we had to fill out a medical card. And so that was the first time that we had actually thought, okay, something's wrong. And mm -hmm. I had received an email from Air France, who I was flying with back to Manchester, saying, don't contact us unless you're within 72 <laughs> hours of your flight. And so I, we assumed that everything was fine. And so we carried on with our holiday. And so we flew to Ethiopia. They took our temperature. We flew out of Ethiopia within 12 hours. They took our temperature again. And then when we had flown into Cameroon, they had taken our temperature. And so I had received an email again from Air France on the 18th, I believe. And it was saying that um, they were going to drastically reduce their flights on the 23rd. And I was flying from Paris to Manchester on the 23rd. And so I was planning on contacting them to change the flight. And then they sent an email saying that they had canceled all flights. And so wow. uh, that was on the 18th. But see, I had flown into Douala, which is um, the main city in Cameroon, and we had traveled to Baminda. And so we were actually a, roughly a 12-hour bus ride outside of where the closest airport. And mm -hmm. so when they had canceled all flights, other airlines were still showing flights. And so I decided to come back to Douala to try and get a flight back to Manchester. And I, I was panicking because I thought, I, I cannot get stuck in Cameroon. <laughs> I need to get back to Manchester. And so I took a bus ride back to Douala. But nobody told us that the Cameroonian government had closed the border. Oh and goodness. so there were still flights showing online, but they, weren't they didn't exist. And so I came back to camera, uh, sorry, to Douala and I was trying, sorry, I was trying to get a flight back to uh, Manchester and then Air France and KLM had sent uh, emails and text messages saying that the flight had been rearranged and they had rescheduled it three or four times and it ended up being on the 25th of March. And so I thought, okay, I've got, you know, five extra days in Cameroon. This isn't bad. I can handle this. Well, the flight never existed. And so I showed up at the airport along with about 30 or 40 other people and people were still coming and the mm. Cameroonian police were demanding that we leave. And so the flight had actually never existed. But at that point, we didn't really understand that the border had been closed and that there were no flights coming in or out of Cameroon. Mm. 
Mm. And so that was sort of the beginning of the panic um, because we didn't know what was going on. And the government, um, so I contacted Canada because I am a citizen of Canada and they kept saying contact the airline, but the airlines were not responding at all. And so we were literally getting no information from anybody. Now, I had left my friend, which was always the plan. And so I was actually on my own. And that was actually the first time that I was actually really scared that I my life was actually in danger uh, because mm. I hadn't done any planning to be in Cameroon. And we had always planned that we were going to be with locals. And here I was in a developing country. Uh, I did not know French. And so this is a Francophone area. I did not know the customs uh, or the culture at all. And so it was sort of the first time that I had been really unprepared. And like, I'm an experienced travel traveler. I've gone to several countries and, and never really worried. But the biggest thing was that I, I was on my own and we didn't know when we were leaving. And nobody was giving us don't. any information. <laughs> Well, well, maybe you some, well, I do, uh, possibly, possibly now. Okay, um, we'll come to that, we'll come but, to that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, so that was sort of the first little bit. Now on the 25th of March, once I realized that the flight was um, non-existent, um, I went back to the hotel that I was at. Now I did have a local with me who, uh, thankfully, he was... Um, helping translate and um, speaking to people because I didn't know the language and I, I didn't know really what was going on, but we still weren't getting any information from anyone um, with regards to what was going on. So the first two to three weeks of April was sort of panic of, okay, the borders are closed. Now what do I do? And we still weren't getting any information from any of the government, so the FCO, which is the British Foreign Commonwealth Office, and then the Canadian government, and the airlines weren't responding at all to any queries or anything like that. And so it was sort of hoping that I would get a flight out of uh, Cameroon. And then I received an email from the FCO saying that there was a repatriation flight to Switzerland but I would need to find my way from Switzerland to Manchester. And so part of the panic with that was that I was going to get stuck in Switzerland and not be able to get back to Manchester. And so I was sort of trading one country for another, but I was yeah. still no further, no closer to home. Uh, Out of the frying pan into the, the fire. <laughs> exactly. I, yes. Yes. Yeah. And so the Canadian government uh, also offered a repatriation flight to Toronto uh, for $5,000. And at first it had been, I think, $6,200. And I just thought, why? How is it so much? And it was quite frustrating because the airlines did not give us any warning that the border was closing or that they were that they were canceling all the flights and they had actually given us other information by saying don't don't contact us and 
although the storm was brewing in the rest of the world, it wasn't in Cameroon or in Tanzania. Mm. And we were never, we're not in lockdown. We were never in lockdown. The only thing that was restricted was everybody, every uh, business was closing at 6 p.m. And Mm -hmm. then later they brought in a mask requirement. And those were really the only two restrictions that we had. And so we were, I was trying to figure out how to get back. And probably about mid April is when I realized that I am going to be in Cameroon for a while. And so I started making plans to find other accommodation because I was in a hotel at the time and mm-hmm. um, sort of figure out what to do. Um, because I was only supposed to be here for five days, I and I had packed for a safari, I <laughs> was unprepared for city living. Yeah. And uh, I had brought minimal technology. And so I didn't have my laptop. I didn't have anything that I could work and um, sort of still get on with life. So it took a lot of adjusting um, because I was, I'm in a developed country uh, where things are a lot different than they are back in the UK or in Canada. Um, So I think most of April and May were sort of the shock of being stuck here and figuring out how to adapt to the culture and also what to do with Tripti. Um, mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I'm I'm in travel. Yeah. And basically it had stopped. And uh, my NVP city was Rome, which, as we know, back in April, May, was one of the worst hit cities. Italy yeah. was really bad for a yeah. while there. And so I was very unsure of how to move Tripti forward or even if I could because a lot of the news and the information that I was receiving was more about travel not being, uh, sorry, travel basically ceasing for the next two to three years. And then all the airlines were canceling their flights. And so I I was honestly a little bit lost for a bit. Um, But I've, I've noticed in business uh, about once a year, there's a big pivot that usually happens. And um, last year it was the code. This year it's been COVID-19. And so mm-hmm. I sort of am now working on how to move Tripti forward and build out the, the, the platform and how to adapt it to the new regulations. So part of what Tripti is, is a travel itinerary building platform. And so possibly one of the the things that I'm looking at is the number of people that are at any particular venue. And so maybe working on how to notify people when it's busiest and times to go when it's less. However, Mm -hmm. because we don't really know what the attractions are going to do over the next little bit to um, minimize uh, the contact between people and the whole social distancing and that um, 
So it's a bit of a waiting game to see what how they respond to the, the new sort of, I guess, lifestyle that's been um, thrown at us. So I'm still building out the platform, but looking at different ways to adapt it to the current conditions with COVID-19. The other thing is continuing to work on my programming skills so that I can continue to build out the platform at a minimal cost. If you're enjoying the podcast, simply hit the like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. If you have the time, leave us a review. You can do that really easily by going to ratemypodcast.com forward slash fast forward. And I think that's that, you know, what I think a lot of people are doing during lockdown are picking up skills and things that perhaps they didn't have as much time to do in, in normal life as, as, as it once was. Um, and I think, you know, some of the things that you've said there, Tanya, in terms of the experience you've had, the, the lack of information that you find, you know, yourself in a circumstance that was we could never have predicted it before. We certainly now can assume that it could happen again. And what part Trip T could play in helping ease that transition for future travellers who may be heading to destinations and thinking about all of those things that they now need to think about, um, which you perhaps have found the hard way, the information that you needed over the last couple of months. Yeah, I think it was a reality check because I know for myself, I was definitely naive to the possibility that there would actually literally be no flights and that a border would close. And even speaking to my friends back in Manchester, but as well in Canada, most people are really struggling to understand that the borders actually closed. So even if I wanted to leave, I can't. And Mm. so a lot of people have been sending me messages saying that flights have resumed and that all of these airlines are starting to fly again. And I have to keep reminding them that it doesn't matter how many flights are (laughs) actually flying. (laughs) Exactly. Um, The border is still closed. And so it doesn't it doesn't matter who's flying where. Um, So I think that that was the biggest reality check was, you know, being literally stuck in a country. And and what do you do now? The the British government did offer a repatriation flight in May, but that was to London. And so the challenge was trying to get from London to Manchester. So even though there were, there was help from the government, it it still was like sort of 50% of the way there. And then you had to sort of figure out how to do the rest yourself with everything being in lockdown, I didn't know how I would get from London to Manchester. And so again, similar to sort of the Switzerland or Canada, it was being stuck in a country or a city and trying to figure out how to get out of it. And so I made the decision to just stay where I am and wait for the border to open. Now, I have received um, an email from the government, the British government saying that Air France has limited flights to and from Paris, uh, from Douala. So I'm currently querying uh, if if this is actually correct. And um, if it is, then I should be back in Manchester by the end of uh, July. That's going to say 2020. 
2020. <laughs> I know, hopefully uh, by the end of the month. But, yeah. you know, this experience has been really enlightening because there's a lot of opportunity in Cameroon and uh, technology is almost non-existent in a lot of ways. Everything is cash and nobody pays with card or anything like that. And so I think that it's given me a lot of inspiration and changed the direction a little bit for uh, Tripti, but as well for myself. Um, and how do I maximize Tripti, uh, especially in the tech world where um, in, you know, England, Canada, the U.S., uh, the looking for any sort of tech programming skills it is really difficult. So I'm, I'm looking at whether there's opportunities in Cameroon uh, for programming and that sort of thing. So that's one of the things that I'm currently working on um, in addition to um, Tripti, uh, but also trying to learn the culture and adapting. But I think it's very similar to business in the sense that uh, you have to sort of roll with the punches and things are going to change and you have to adapt and learn and uh, continue to grow and develop. And I think that's what I've done in Cameroon. Um, but I do want to say that I, I haven't done it on my on my own. I've had locals helping me, and uh, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of really supportive people around me uh, that have made the transition to tourist in Cameroon to resident in Cameroon. So, um, but it's also made me realize as well in business that you need um, you can't do it yourself. You need supportive people and. Um, you have to work as a team to, to get anywhere. So I've, I've learned a lot um, just in general about how to adapt and learn and grow. Um, but it's, I think it's helped me become stronger when I think of Tripti and where I want to go with it. Can you elaborate on any of those new business ideas or is it too early to say? Right now it's quite early uh, in the process, but... Um, one of the things that I would like to do is somehow um, develop a, a tech program, possibly, for Cameroonians. Because one of the challenges here is that the salaries are extremely low. And so, for example, a teacher here would make probably about £5,000 a year teaching. So this would be a primary school teacher. Um, so the salaries are not reflective. And so one of the things that I'm, I'm passionate about is, um, you know, giving people opportunities to better themselves. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the opportunities that I had with, with Tripti was, um, you know, how do I help people travel with ease um, and sort of uh, take some of that burden of, of planning and that sort of thing off of them. And so um, that's one of the things that I'm currently looking at. Uh, however, it's really early days. And unfortunately right now for, for Cameroon, there is civil unrest here. And so um, that's one of the challenges uh, with working with a developed country is that 
it is literally still developing. Yeah. It's almost like we need some kind of live real time platform that lets us know what's going down around us, but also, uh, you know, globally um, and can help help people adapt quickly. Yeah. And I think what travellers will want now compared to what travellers wanted six months ago, it's going to be a very different sort of customer needs analysis. Yeah, definitely. And I'm in several Facebook groups, uh, traveling, um, travel related, and people want to still travel and they want to explore the world. And I think of, for myself, the experience of of living in a developed country and and the differences, um, you know, essentials that we consider in, you know, the UK and Canada, the US and other countries are luxuries here. So we don't always have running water here and it comes and goes when it wants. And so you fill up buckets and jugs and you have water to the side. Um, And there's also a tap. So my housemates, thankfully the guys carry the water, um, which (laughs) is 20 liter jugs. And um, electricity goes out all the time here. So um, when I was in Baminda, it was only on six hours a day, six to eight hours a day. And here in Douala, it's much better, but you can go all day without electricity. And it's it, it's common here. Um, the internet, very similar. It comes and goes. And so you sort of... <laughs> We've been quite lucky to, <laughs> to get 40 minutes together. <laughs> We have. Yes, yes. Uh, that was one of my worries. I thought, okay, the electricity is going to go out or the internet's going to go out <laughs> or something like that. Um, but you sort of just, I think one of the things that I've learned uh, being in Cameroon is patience because all of these things happen and you can't do anything. Um, a lot of people message me uh, when I explain I've got no electricity and, and, they say, well, why? And I keep saying, I don't know, because there's no information shared and there's nowhere to complain. There's nothing anybody can do. You just sort of live with it. And when you get electricity, you charge the stuff that you have. And same with the internet, same with the water. And so I think that one of the things that has been um, really life-changing is um, just being calm and just accepting what is. Mm. So it's definitely changed, G. Yes, um, definitely. And um, I think um, it, it's it's made me a lot stronger uh, because I've, I've had to adapt to such dramatic changes and I didn't really have a choice in the matter. But then I think, well, I learned code in four and a half months and I started a business not knowing anything. And so I think um, I'm slowly getting used to just adapting to different circumstances, um, just rolling with it and being open to learning. And mm-hmm. so that's, I think, where it'll help me a lot in, in business. And uh, it's, made me really consider travel in general what 
what we thought was, you know, precious and a guarantee actually isn't and that things can change and you can go on holidays and stuck. But I also think of, you know, how many people who have had events going on that have been canceled and mm-hmm. again, there's nothing that you can do about it. Your wedding, um, yeah, family get togethers and that sort of thing. Um, so in June, I was supposed to be actually in Canada for my nephew's graduation. And obviously I couldn't go, but they also canceled the graduation. So, um, you know, we make all these plans and you just don't know. Has it been difficult being so far away from friends and family? And, do you know, have you found a new support circle there? It was difficult at the beginning because I didn't know what was going on and I was panicking trying to get back to Manchester. Um, But as well, I was worried about my safety because I am a lone female in uh, a developing country and I didn't know the language. And so the first bit was panic and just trying to get home and survival. And yes, I have found a wonderful um, group of locals and um, that have been incredibly supportive and shown me what to do and how to negotiate and sort of help me become independent. I've been actually really fortunate because I I think uh, COVID-19 played a bit of Cupid um, in the sense that uh, I've met, (laughs) yes, yes, Um, I've met an amazing man. And um, so we've been spending a lot of time together and he's helped me uh, adapt to Douala and shown me, you know, how to get around and, and what to do when in certain situations and that sort of thing. So I've been really fortunate in my experience. Mm. Everything happens for a reason. <laughs> yes, yes. And so that's part of, um, I think, why it's been such a, a positive adventure, mm. been able to go to a lot of places and um, see a lot of things, but as well live a local Cameroonian life. Uh, and so the experience of that and not just being a tourist has been phenomenal it's amazing I can't it's just such an incredible story um Tanya um and I can't wait to see you back in Manchester to hear more of the nitty-gritty um so to wrap up then the 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 journey that you've been on it's been profound in terms of the adaptability that you've had to find both for your personal life and for also for your business um, and you said it yourself earlier that you feel like you've come out stronger as a result of it. Um, what advice would you have for other fledgling businesses like yours um, who are trying to find that pivot and make it through this difficult period and, and ultimately to emerge stronger? What would be your sort of wrap up advice for them? My advice for um, startups and even developed businesses is to really take this time and consider what your business can do and how you can change to the new or current lifestyle, whether it will go back to 
the way that it was before or be a new version. We don't know yet, but I think business is always changing and the more adaptable you are and the more open to growing and learning and developing, the more likely you will be to succeed. I think at the beginning for, for me, I, I was frustrated and upset that all of these things had happened and it was trying to figure out what I can do because I did have all these plans and wanted everything to work out. And so I think being really open to the fact that things are changing and looking at new opportunities and sort of developing what you've already got will help uh, move you forward. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I'm so grateful that I got the chance to um, speak to you. It hasn't been without its technical difficulties, as we both know um, from trying to connect this morning. And thank you to the Cameroon government for allowing the electricity and the internet to stay up long enough to record this. Um, for um, business, fledgling businesses out there who are finding the same challenges that Tanya has, um, hopefully her experience and sharing it with you uh, in terms of how you can overcome all of these things um, will hopefully give you a better night's sleep. Thank you. Fast Forward is a weekly interview podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, an incubator for digital and creative startups in the Northwest. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. The podcast is produced by Sarah Bellier, audio editing by Jamie Gownlock, and music by Parma Violets. If you've any questions, feel free to drop us a line at info at techmanchester.co.uk or follow us on any of our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn, all under Tech Manchester. <laughs>